0: Thanks. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 12. We're going to read together there. We're going through this great book of the Bible on Sunday mornings. And I uh, want to come to this critical, kind of really a critical chapter in the Bible. Uh, I want to mention, too, as you're opening your Bibles there, that uh, this Wednesday night, we have midweek worship on Wednesday nights. And we're taking communion uh, in our midweek worship services, a service tonight, at six, uh, Wednesday night, rather, at 6 o'clock. You can come in on the Seven Hills side. That's the We'll have signs that'll help you find it. We're in the chapel on uh, midweek worship, but uh, you're more than welcome to come. And then the membership class is today at 4 o'clock. I teach that class from 4 till 6 today. If you want to join our church, you can do it through the class. Or if you just want to find out more about the church, you're welcome to come. And that'll be on the Seven Hills side as well. Well, let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. I'm going to read the whole chapter as we... Uh, kind of see this critical chapter of the Bible. Can you stay with the whole chapter? Can you do this? Let's try it. Here we go. The Bible says, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on its heads were seven crowns, its tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that she, when she did give birth, it might devour her child. She gave birth to a son, a male, who was going to rule all nations with an iron rod. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be nourished there for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought, but he could not prevail, and there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who was called the devil, and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to earth to earth, and his angels with him. And then he heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives to the point of death. Therefore, rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great fury because he knows his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, he persecuted the woman who had given birth to the male child. And the woman was, was given two wings of a great eagle so that she could fly from the serpent's presence to her place in the wilderness where she was nourished for a time, times, and half a time. From his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river flowing after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman The earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river that the dragon had spewed from his mouth. So the dragon was furious with the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep the commands of God and hold firmly to the testimony about Jesus. The dragon stood on the sand of the sea. Well, let's look at this war in heaven the Bible tells us about. And I've I've never been in the military, um, though I've been fascinated by... Battles all my life, and I've never been in the military. Partly, I don't tell people this often, but I've been in the military partly because I have a. Aller- I've got an allergy. I'm allergic to seeing my own blood, and it's you a know, really bad allergy I have for that. And so, I don't have the you know courage that you military types have. And listen, God bless you. Thank you for your service to our country and for the uh, your commitment and your bravery for these things. We're very grateful. But as I said, I've always been kind of interested in wars and battles, and I've read all kinds of books about wars and battles, and I find them fascinating. But I'll just tell you, there's a battle going on all the time right now. And the Bible tells us about spiritual battles. When I was young, we used to focus on this. Sometimes I think in uh, modern days, the Christian faith can sort of forget the battle side of the faith, the fact that we're in a war. But when I was young, there was this song that we used to sing. And I'm not I'm not going to sing it. I'm just not going to sing it. But I am going to say the words. So I'll read it because I, if I sing it, I remember it. But if I say the words, it's harder. And if you're old enough, you may remember. Some of you may remember this song we sometimes sang as children. I may never march in the infantry. Does anyone know this song? You want to sing it? No, don't, don't, don't sing it. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never fly over the enemy. Sometimes we said zoom over the enemy. But I'm in the Lord's army. And then, yes, sir, and I salute. When he, I, I mean, it wasn't in the military, but I had a military salute. I could do that one really well, and it was a reminder. That song was that we are in a battle, and that there's this battle raging all the time. And the Bible says there'll be one day this war in heaven. Now, there's a battle taking place right now, but the Bible tells us really the book of Revelation, the culmination of this, we'll see more when we get to the story of Armageddon later, and certainly this scene of the battle in heaven. So let's note a couple of principles here, because this is a critical understanding for us, and I want you to know that God has purposes and plans for you connected to this battle that we're to, to uh, be engaged in. So principle number one, I want you to write these down if you're, if you're willing to take these notes, and you might want to write a couple things underneath. Number one, there is a battle against God's purposes. Did you know that? There's a battle against God's purposes. It's going on around us. Verse 7 says, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. There's, there's a battle, and it's been going on against God's purposes for a long time. And so let's note this story and kind of the different characters in the story. First, you'll, you'll note that the Bible talks here about a dragon, and we're even, we even see the identification of this dragon. He's the devil or Satan. And we're told about Satan, that he does some things. He fights against us. The Bible tells us he deceives us. Did you think that Satan was telling you the truth when he said how great sin will be and how wonderful it will be to throw off all of God's rules and to do whatever you feel like or whatever the culture says is popular right now? Did you think that he was telling you the truth? He's a deceiver. The Bible says he accuses us. He's the accusers of the brothers and sisters. And Listen, apart from the finished work of Jesus, his accusations would be accurate, but I'm thankful for the finished work of Jesus. And then we see the son, and we see that he is, the Bible says, a, a, a male is going to rule all nations with an iron rod, and this is the Lord Jesus. We see him often in the book of Revelation. We see him ruling. The basic confession of our faith is Jesus is Lord. And He is the one who rules, and He is the one who saves, and He is the one who forgives, and He is the one who guides. And then we see the woman. And there's been some debate about the woman. Some have said that the woman is Mary, because certainly she gives birth to the Lord Jesus. Now, I don't think that matches the context here, because of the descriptions of what we see the woman doing. But the Bible did use, the Bible tells us that God did use Mary, that God became a man, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, that God broke into this world and lived here among us, and that he was born through this virgin named Mary. And some have said, well, it's the church, perhaps it's the church. And while there's some, I can understand how some get to that point, I, I, I don't think that's the accurate case. The uh, church does not give birth to Jesus, but Jesus gives birth to the church. Can I just remind you of this? that the church, now listen, if the church is just my idea, I mean, skip all you want, right? If the church is just the traditions of um, our culture, who cares? But if the church is a God idea, and if it's birthed by the Lord Himself, and if God created the church for a reason, then there is a purpose behind it, there's a value to it. And whether you can fully understand or see that at the present moment, it does not change the fact that there's value because God created this for us and He gave this to the church and He birthed the church. But I think there's a better description of who this is. I believe this to be, this woman, to be the nation of Israel. That Jesus is born in this nation of Israel with all the heritage of the Old Testament. In verse 1, the Bible describes this woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, crown of 12 stars. I think. Uh, any Jewish person reading this, and perhaps those of you who are really familiar with the Old Testament, would immediately think of the story of Joseph and the vision he had of the moon and the stars and the twelve uh, bowing before him, which were his brothers and sisters, the patriarchs of Israel. And I, I believe this passage is talking about the nation of Israel itself. So let me note some. What I'm saying is I believe that God's got a purpose for Israel, and that God's working in the life of Israel. That that their uh, formation as a nation again after all of those years, after being in in the promised land for years and then being absent the promised land all of that time and coming back, that's a part of God's purposes and God's plans and that He has purposes and plans for the future. So let me note three things about this battle against God's purposes. First, would you note there's a battle against God's plan. So it's the plan of God. Redemption is one way to describe the plan of God or the gospel. Redemption is saying that We are rightly gods by creation. That is, God, you are created in the image of God. You have value, inherent value, just because you are created in the image of God. Great worth. Great value, because God created you in His image. And you are His by creation. But in sin, we are broken. We are, we turn from God. We go our own way. And the word redemption is reminding us that Christ has done something about this broken condition. That though we are rightly his, we all run from God and gone our own way. That in salvation we are bought back by Jesus, by his blood, by his death. We are bought back by him and so we are double his by creation and by salvation we are his. That's the plan of of, uh, God for redemption and it has been God's plan. It's been fought against forever. The plan of the gospel. The gospel says that we can't reach God in our own merit, that we've all sinned, that if we, that if we tried to live a perfect life, we, would all, we all have failed, and that we're separated from God, but that the gospel says Jesus lived the perfect life none of us could live. Jesus died the death that we all deserved. Jesus provided the miracle we needed, and by repenting of our sins and placing our faith in Christ, we can be forgiven, not because we're perfect, but because the perfect Savior perfectly forgives. And it's been a battle against God's plan. We see it throughout the pages of the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the early church. We see it throughout the pages of history, this battle against God's plan. Secondly, there's a battle against God's people, the battle against Israel. Israel's been um, persecuted throughout her history, and if you know anything about history, you know something of the persecution against the people of Israel, and not just the people of Israel, but really uh, Christians, there's a battle against God's people. The, those of us who know Christ as Savior are adopted into God's family. And there's been a battle against us. The Bible says, the Bible warns us and tells us that there will be persecution. and that There will be those who will battle against the purposes of God and even the people of God. But thirdly, I want you to note there's a battle against you. Against you. Not just in theory, but in reality. A battle against you. Verse 17 Uh, Says there's a battle against those who keep the commands of God and hold firmly to the testimony about Jesus against you. There's a spiritual battle, and it's going on all the time. In 2 Corinthians, the Bible says talks to us about the weapons of our warfare. We're in a war. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us to put on the whole armor of God. That's about battle. In 1 Timothy, Paul tells his protege, Timothy, fight the good fight. In 2 Timothy, at the end of Paul's life, he said, I have fought the good fight. There's a battle going on. And maybe you've been unaware of it. Maybe you've lived in ignorance of that battle. The enemy doesn't mind keeping you in the dark about it. Maybe you'll just never think about it. You'll never notice it. You'll miss God's purposes and God's plans. Some of you know that there's a battle. You know it full well because you feel it within your soul all the time, this battle over temptation and sin and the problems of this world. But whether you recognize it or not, there's a battle going on right now for you. And the enemy is attacking in every way he can. And he'll do that subtly or dramatically, whichever way you give him. But there's a battle nonetheless. If you know something about the Civil War, you know that it ended in a town called Appomattox. Sometimes in those days it was was called Appomattox Courthouse. That was what the town was called for a while, some of the towns in Virginia, used to do that but the battle ended not at the courthouse in Appomattox but in a home of a guy named Wilmer McLean that's where Robert E. Lee surrendered to Ulysses S. Grant and that was really the beginning of the end of the Civil War and McLean whose home people took all the furniture and stuff for souvenirs and stuff and it's kind of a museum now but McLean was not a stranger to the battle. Some years earlier, in what's called the battle, the first battle of Bull Run, or sometimes called the first battle of Manassas in Manassas, Virginia, uh, that battle happened on a, a big part of it anyway, on a farm that was owned by the same Wilmer McLean. And he didn't like that battle very much. He was an older guy. The battle was dangerous and difficult and And he said, I am a man of peace, and I'm going to move away from this battle. And he moved, left his home in Manassas and moved all the way out to Appomattox, a little sleepy town of Appomattox. No battle would ever come to Appomattox. And so it could be said that the war began in his backyard and ended in his parlor. And he tried to run from the war, but the war found him. And some of you have been trying to run from the battle. But the battle will find you. And the enemy will find every opportunity and take every opportunity to attack, and he's looking for ways, to whatever, whether it's to keep you in ignorance of the truth or to keep you blinded to the truth or whether it's subtle attacks or more dramatic attacks. There's a battle taking place. And it would be wise for you to put on the full armor of God. It would be wise for you to fight the good fight. And the Bible's telling us there's a battle against God's purposes. But secondly, I want you to see this, and don't miss this. If you're a note taker, be sure to write this down. There's a victory for God's people. There's not just a battle against God's purposes. Certainly we see that in the pages of the Bible. But there is a victory for God's people. And that's the story of Revelation, really the story of the New Testament, that we can have victory uh, in this world, victory over this battle, victory over the enemy. So let's note a couple of things about that victory. First note that heaven wins the battle over evil. Let's pick up the story again in verse 7. The Bible says, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels also fought. But he could not prevail, and there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who is called the devil, and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world, he was thrown to earth and his angels with him. So Satan, a fallen angel, had at one time uh, has some access to the counsel of heaven, and then eventually that will be removed entirely. And the Bible is reminding us that heaven will win the battle over the enemy and the battle over evil, and we can we have that promise from God. Michael will win this, Michael and the angels, the archangel and the angels, winning the battle over the devil and his fallen angels. And it doesn't seem maybe much like that. It doesn't seem much like it's winning, does it? Does it feel like to you that the faith is winning the battles? I mean, does it seem to you that God's truth is prevailing? Does it seem like our culture is going the way God wants us to go? Does it seem like we're obeying what God tells us to obey and doing what God wants us to do? I mean, quite frankly, does it seem like we're winning? Does it seem like there's victory over evil and victory over the enemy? If you know uh, something about World War II, you'll certainly know about D-Day. And D-Day was the day when the Allied forces landed on the beaches of Normandy to began that work towards through Europe all the way to the defeat, to the <clears throat> surrender of Germany. But man, June the 6th, 1944, as people hit the beaches of Normandy, can you imagine the, the bravery, the fear, <laughs> the difficulty of landing on those beaches? And it must not have looked like things were being won, but gradually, step by step, um, land was taken, Uh, ground was taken, people were brought onto the shore and materiel and eventually the long journey towards Germany began. It didn't seem from the outside on June the 6th in the early stages at least like the battle was being won. But you could see it better by the end of the day and by June the 7th and the 8th and the 9th and the 10th and the 11th and the months and uh, the next year that followed. You could begin to see how that victory unfolded. The the Bible is telling us in this world it feels like it doesn't always feel like we're winning the victories, does it? Our culture is dark and this is a broken, fallen world and a broken, fallen place. And if you see anything of our culture, you can see that our culture is in large measure going the wrong way, running from the things of God, arguing uh, whether there's even such a thing as truth or not. It doesn't seem like it's winning, but I'm telling you the victory has been won and God has made promises and we see that in the book of Revelation. And we're seeing the early phases of that beginning uh, to take place over and over and that Christ is returning and that one day the victory will be fully accomplished, and we'll look back and see how God has been at work, though we might not have recognized it always. It didn't always feel that way or seem that way to us, but we'll see that God has been working because heaven wins the battle over the enemy and over the evil one. But I want you to see as well that Christians win the battle over the enemy and over evil. Christians, not just the church in general, not just heaven, but Christians can win this battle. Verse 10 says this, I heard a loud voice in heaven say, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down, has been thrown down. It's the promise that God gives a victory in Christ. Well, how? I mean, how can we have victory? I mean, the enemy's skilled and talented and he, he's got abilities an experience that we don't have. We're broken and fallen. How can we have victory? Verse 11 tells us, critical verse. Open your text, note this. Verse 11, they conquered him. How? Two ways. By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Now we need to get this. They conquered him, not by their own skills and abilities and talents and resources, but they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. So let's, let's just say this out loud together. How did they conquer? They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. You didn't do very well on that. Let's try it again, shall we? I mean, this is important to get. How do we have victory? How do we gain this victory? How do Christians win the battle over the enemy? How do Christians win the battle over evil? Verse 11, they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony that's how by the blood of the lamb well we see something of that in the book of revelation don't we we see in the book of revelation the lamb who was slain do you remember seeing jesus in the early pages of this book of the bible and he is described as the lamb who was slain and we say well why would that matter because the blood of jesus is the means of our victory and you say well why what would that matter if you know something about the Old Testament, and someday along, the, I want you to read the whole New Testament for yourself, read it several times, but someday I want you to tackle the entire Bible. And some of you are in that process right now, and you're reading along in the Old Testament, and you can't help but notice that there is the, the sacrificial system, and that when people sin, they have to make a sacrifice. And it teaches us this principle. You can't read the Old Testament without understanding this, or really have lived in the days of the Old Testament without seeing that there are consequences to sin. There are consequences to sin. Every path you get on leads somewhere. Every choice you make has a result. And the consequence of sin, the wages, the Bible says, of sin is, do you know? The wage of sin is death. It's death. And so an animal was sacrificed, and by his blood... Atonement was made and the person could be forgiven. And the Bible describes Jesus as the lamb who was slain. We are forgiven not because we've never sinned or not because God said, you know what, I've changed my mind. Sin's no big deal anymore. No, he knows better than anyone how terrible sin is. But we find victory because Jesus shed his blood for mine. And he paid the price that was yours on the cross. He didn't die for his sins. The sinless one, the holy one. He died for your sins, for my sins. And Jesus paid the price. And so we find victory by the blood of the Lamb. By the blood of the Lamb. Because Jesus took my sin upon himself on that cross. And he died in my place. And if you'll trust him as Savior. Did you realize what Christ has done? By the blood of the Lamb. That's why we Listen, there's a joy to our worship because we know what Jesus did for us. If you ever say, I wonder if God loves me. Does God really love me? I mean, is it true? God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we find victory by the blood of the lamb and by the, what? The word of their testimony. So the blood of the lamb reminds us of what Jesus did. He paid the price. The word of the testimony reminds us that Jesus is our Savior, not just the Savior, but our Savior, and not just the Lord, but my Lord. And they were saying, I have trusted Christ as Savior. I've trusted not myself, not my religion, not my good works, not my hard effort, but I'm trusting Christ, and He is my Savior, the one who died for me, and my Lord, the word of their testimony. There's power to a testimony, It's what comes from your lips, It comes from your life, And there's a power to the word of the testimony. And so how how did they conquer him? Let's say it again. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And listen, that's how you conquer. By the blood of the lamb, the one who paid the price. Christ paid, paid the price for you. And by the word of your testimony, by Jesus being your Savior and your Lord. And if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, I pray today you would give your life to Christ. So, there are these critical moments when just the tide is turned. Vicky and I were driving through Virginia some years ago, just driving along, and I saw a sign, just driving along the interstate, and there's a sign that said, Five Forks, like National Battlefield or something like that. And I remember what had happened at Five Forks, as I'd read all these Civil War books, Vicky just loves it I read all those civil war books and I said Vicky I have got to pull off the interstate and go to five Forks and I just that's what we did and poor Vicky just went along with the right because I we went to Five Forks and there's hardly anything there it's just it looks like it did long ago five it's called Five Forks because five roads just kind of meet there right at this center point but it was the spot I knew this story it was the spot where the flank of the um, Confederacy holding Petersburg and Therefore, Richmond was turned, Sheridan turned, and the cavalry of the Union forces turned their Five Forks, won that battle, and, and because of that, Petersburg fell, and then Richmond inevitably fell, and then the Confederacy with Lee escaped to Appomattox some miles down the road where they surrendered. I mean, it was the critical moment in the beginning of the end of the Civil War. And there are these moments in life where you make these decisions that just change everything. When I was a nine-year-old boy, I recognized that I was a sinner who needed a Savior, and I trusted Christ as my Savior. I didn't just know about Him in general, though I knew about Him in general to that point. I didn't just know the stories of the Bible. I didn't just know that Jesus was Savior, but that day I recognized that I was a sinner and I came under great conviction from the Holy Spirit that I needed to be saved. And I repented of my sins and I trusted Christ as Savior. And that day, a corner was turned and a change was made and a victory was won. And I want that for you. And this day, in a few moments when we pray together, some of you this day will, I pray, turn a corner and win a victory. The Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin and righteousness, and today I'm praying you will make that decision to trust Christ as Savior, not just to know about Him, but to be saved, to be born again, and to trust Him as Savior. So what was the result? The how was by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of the testimony. What's the result? Well, death is defeated, the Bible says. In verse 11, they did not love their lives to the point of death. And they said, death, the old enemy has lost its sting. Maybe you've stood at the grave of a loved one and known something of the pain and separation. But in Christ, that death, the the whole concept of death is defeated because we have life in Christ and victory. The book of Revelation reminds us of that truth. There's a second result. Problems are encountered. Notice what the Bible says in verse 12. There's rejoicing in heaven. Therefore rejoice you heavens, you who dwell in them. But it's not rejoicing everywhere. Woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has come down to you with great fury because he knows his time is short. The Bible is saying the problems of the great tribulation will only get greater. Just as the enemy is trying to defeat um, the purposes of God even now, the Bible is saying even in the defeat of the enemy, problems are encountered. The death blow has been given, but the problems remain. One One of my boyhood memories is of my mother outside in the yard with us boys and there was a little snake in the yard and my mom hated snakes. This is a little small snake, but my mom knew that snake was going to swallow her children whole and she rose to protect her children and she grabbed the hoe and started chopping and screaming and crying and chopping and chopping and chopping and chopping. It was very entertaining for us boys. And that snake was killed on the very first blow that severed its head from its body. But there was writhing that was still going on, and she knew she had to protect her children. Did you know the enemy has been defeated? Now listen, there's, you say there's writhing. Of course, there's all the problems of our world, the brokenness of our world, but the death blow has been given. Jesus has already died on the cross for our sins, and he's already risen from the grave. He's already made the promises of what's going to happen in the future, and the promise has been made, and the death blow has been delivered. But we are still on the battlefield, the writhing of this fallen, broken world. And some of you know that full well because you're in the middle of that battle right now. And I'm asking you to fight that battle well. Some of you, the battle begins by that commitment to Christ as Savior. And I'm going to ask you to give your life to Christ. And for some of you, the battle is to follow the Lord as Lord and to ask Him for victory in over temptation and sin in your life. So I want to ask you to join me in a word of prayer. Will you bow right where you are right now? Some of you need to be saved. You're like me. You are under conviction of sin and righteousness, and you know you need to be saved. And if you do, I want to ask you to give your life to Christ today to be saved. Christ has already done all necessary on his point. He's already died on the cross. He's already risen from the grave. He's already sent the Holy Spirit to convict. I wonder if today you wouldn't give your life to Christ, repent of your sins, and place your trust in Christ, and receive him as Savior. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Now, saying words you don't mean won't change anything. But if, from your heart to the heart of God, you want to be saved, you want to repent of your sin and give your life to Christ, you could pray a prayer like this. Dear Lord Jesus, just say it to him. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I have sinned against you. And that that sin separates me from you. But here and now, I want to turn from my sin and repent of it. And place my trust in you because you died for me on that cross. And you rose from the grave for me. And so here and now, I ask you to save me, and I give my life to you. Please save me, Lord, and if you mean that, Christ will save you. And you will be turning a corner. You might not fully understand it right now. You might not see the full victory at this moment, but you're turning a corner that's leading to full and complete victory. When you trust Christ as Savior, the victory is won. Some of you are in a battle right now, though you've trusted Christ as Savior there's still a battle going on in your soul, in your heart, your mind, and you know it full well. You know the enemy is He's uh, very skilled in what he does. And maybe you thought it doesn't really matter, but it does. God's asking you to engage well. He wants to use you, your gifts, your talents, your resources for his glory. Would you say yes to him? God, I want to make a difference for you in this world. You placed me in this world for a reason. And you even saved me and left me in this world for a reason. Lord, I want to live for you. I want to obey you. I want to make a difference for you. I want to serve you. Would you say yes to him? If you just prayed to receive Christ, I'm going to ask you to grow in your faith, to follow him, learn more of what he wants. Christian, I want to ask you to say yes to his promises, to follow him in obedience, to do what he wants you to do, to turn from the things that are wrong, turn to the things that are right. And Father, we thank you for this great chapter in the Bible that teaches us about this battle that you've called us to be engaged in, this battle that's raging all around us that sometimes we're almost oblivious to, but you, you're reminding us in your word that there's a battle. But you also tell us about the victory, that we can have victory through Christ. And so we want to trust you in that. Lord, for those who just this day prayed to receive your Savior, I thank you that you give victory full and free in Christ. And I pray they will grow deep roots of faith and they will follow you fully. And Father, for those who are here who have trusted you as Savior, help us to grow, help us to learn, help us to obey, help us to serve. We pray you'll be glorified in and through us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.